in a series called If You're Not Ready, You're Perfect. We've been taking a look at scripture and some of the different people who have led at times when they didn't feel like they had it all together. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about Moses. Moses, probably the strongest example of somebody saying like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. Jesus, God shows up. I mean, God shows up in a burning bush and uh, Moses is out in the desert kind of feeling like a loser. He's tending to his his father-in-law's flock and he's out there kind of feeling bummed out about things that happened in his life. The burning bush begins to speak to him. It's the Lord and calls him into delivering his people. Uh, Moses gets excited about this. If you weren't with us last week, uh, I encourage you to check out the message. But Moses is excited like, yeah, Uh, God is saying, I hear the cries of the people. I see their oppression. Uh, I know what they're going through. And then Moses is like, yeah, God's going to get them. He's going to put an end to all this evil and all this darkness and this oppression. But then God says, I'm sending you. Because God always uses us to bring about his kingdom work. Can I get an amen? So he enlists Moses. He says, yeah, I see the cries. I see the darkness. The same thing could be said about our times that we're living in, where we see the darkness. And and God sees what's going on in our schools and in our communities and in different places. And God says, hey, I'm going to clean this up. We're going to fix this. Therefore, I'm choosing you. Can I get an amen? And what I love about God is he doesn't look for perfection. He just looks for a willing heart. Someone saying, God, I'm here. Uh, Here I am. Use me. Send me. And so that was one example we looked at of, of somebody saying, like, hey, I didn't feel ready. Moses actually gave a bunch of excuses back to God about why he couldn't do it. So check out that sermon. I also thought about David. You know, David's somebody who his assignment, again, was to be a shepherd boy, somebody who was just taking care uh, of his family's uh, flock and herd. And uh, his instructions were to go down to the battlefield, and Goliath would be down there. The instructions would be, hey, go bring your brothers a meal. That was his assignment. He didn't feel ready to face Goliath. He didn't have his own armor, as we know, as we read the story. He didn't go down there prepared to face a giant, but he wasn't ready at all. But in his weakness, God gave him the strength to be what he called him to do. Amen. Noah's a really funny one. You know, if you've ever been to kids' church or you grew up in church, you would have heard the story of Noah. Noah, the scripture says that his family was so righteous They were doing everything so right. They had it all put together. They were being obedient. God was pleased with their lifestyle. And because God was pleased with their lifestyle, the blessing that they got for that was they were called and commissioned and assigned to build an ark because it was going to rain. They've never heard of rain. They had never seen rain before. And now they're building some three to four story boat that they have no experience doing. And everybody says that that was the hard part. They say that it took somewhere between 60 to maybe 120 years to build that. Everybody says that's the hard part. Where I'm like, no, the hard part is that guy had to figure out how to take care of every kind of animal. No one even talks about how insane that is, caretaking for every kind of animal on the planet. He was definitely a guy who wasn't ready. But God used him in his weakness and his obedience to do great things and to discover his purpose. And I'm just believing That God's plan in this hour, while the harvest is great, is God is saying, I'm looking into my church, I'm looking into my body, and I'm going to find some people who are going to discover their gifts and their purposes, and they're going to allow me to use them to bring about freedom in this community. Can I get an amen today? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it some more. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today. God, I pray that you do speak to us today. God, we want to hear from you. We don't want uncomfortable situations or intimidation to hold us back from being who you called us to be. And so, God, I pray that you encourage us and you advance us into what purposes you have for us. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have a confession to make, and this is going to be hard for some of you to hear. Um, You can write it down, and I think you should process it for the next couple weeks, maybe months, whatever it takes. But you need to really kind of work on this because this is going to come as a surprise to you. Um, But I'm not perfect. 
I know. I know it's, it's surprising, and I'll give you your time to work through that. Um, of course, my wife thinks that I am, so that's news to her, too, um, that I'm not perfect. Um, I couldn't even say that without laughing all the way. Um, and so uh, I'm not perfect, and there's a place in town that brings the imperfections out of me. Um, now, I lived in the South for two years, and living in the South, a bad habit has been formed in me. Uh, when you live in the South, you have to put a specific word in front of this place that brings the bad out in me, the non-perfection out in me. Because in the South, they always put this word before they say this place. So I'm going to teach you it today. Uh, the place that brings out all the imperfections in me is called the Walmart. <laughs> How many enjoy going to Walmart? <laughs> yeah, not very many hands today. Not very many in the South. Uh, I say, hey, what are you doing? Oh, man, I'm going down there to the Walmart, the Walmart. And that just stuck with me. Walmart is a place that I have to prepare for. Just says, hey, we're going to go out. Do you think that we could run into the Walmart? And, uh, you know, Grand Havens is a little bit better, but it's still Walmart, you know. And I say, okay, you know what? I'm talking to myself. I can do it. Today I can do it. I can go to Walmart and uh, I think I can handle that experience. But the problem is you get to Walmart and it goes bad before you even get in the building. I'm talking like the parking lot. You've already regretted your decision to go there. You know, they have the two way, you know, you're supposed to go this way. If the, if you're parking and the cars are like this, you go this way. Every single time I've gone there, someone's always going the wrong way. Then you have the awkward, like who's supposed to back up, you know? Uh, and, and so frustration begins then. Then as fine as you, as soon as you finally find parking, uh, it, you're, you're a mile away. You're at the back of the parking lot and it still has like all the debris and knives and stuff from like the winter snow pile. There's bones, maybe humans. I'm not sure where the snow piles used to be. And it's like, why are we parking this far away until you see the checkout line? Oh, there is 7,000 people here and they're all in the checkout line. So you park so far away. And then I don't know if this happened to you, but you walk up to the door, you finally picked a side, you finally went through crazy parking because you park and you get out of your car. You're like, what is all this garbage? Did someone unwrap all their groceries before they got in the car? All right, I'm going in and, and I pick a door and I go into the thing and you walk up to the door and it doesn't move and there's like a tiny handwritten sign that's like, please use other entrance. And I don't know why I make that person sound like Large Marge, but I just do, okay. <laughs> so now I gotta walk all the way to the other side and then this is the worst part of the Walmart experience is choosing a cart. And you gotta decide, do you want one that has broken down, rickety, crazy like wheels? You're lucky to find one that has four wheels. Or do you want the one that's so sticky <laughs> and nasty. You got to choose one or the other. It's either like bumpy and crusty or it's the sticky crazy. So you get the cart, you finally get the cart. And you know, at this time you're praying in the spirit, you're trying to stay saved and, and you get through and the greeter who's meant to greet you doesn't acknowledge you just on their phone. Like, I don't even know why that person's there. And then I'm like, I'm here for one thing. I need a box of Cheez-Its and then we got to get out of here. This is all we need. And so you go to the Cheez-It aisle and of course they're out of Cheez-Its. And you have this stupid idea like, maybe I could find someone who could help me. <laughs> That's an insane idea. And then you have the second thought of, even if I did find someone who could help me, and I say, hey, do you got any more Cheez-Its? They would say, let me go check in the back. And you would know that's going to take two weeks <laughs> for someone to go in the back and find a thing. Or they could say, uh, if you, you, know, you don't got a price tag on something, and you go, uh, oh, I need to find the price on these Cheez-Its. They say, oh, do you see that? Uh, scanner, like way down there, you could go self-scan and figure out what the price is, which is a mile away. I always get the guy that talks to you. You know, like the mission when you go to Walmart is like just survive and get out of here and try not to see church people. Amen. Like, I, oh, I caught you. See, because you do that. I don't do that. 
But I always get the guy that talks to me. You know, just standing there, he comes over and he's around. He's like, ooh, you buying some apples? I'm like, well, they're in the cart. <laughs> no, I'm going to take these and go plant them in farm and garden. I'm going to open them and grow a tree. It's going to look great in the spring over there. You know, like... So you get to the end. My son doesn't have very much patience. His name is Charlie. He's, he's uh, going to be eight coming up, I think. I'm trying to keep track. But we get to the checkout line. I'm like, all right, good. We got our stuff. Let's get out of here until you come up to the front and you see not only is it hundreds of people waiting to check out because there's one checkout, it's hundreds of the angriest people in West Michigan. <laughs> nobody's friendly. Nobody's nice. Nobody's smiling. So then you say to yourself, I'm going to just do the you scan. I'm going to just check out myself and avoid all of this, and I'll be out of here. And you scan the first thing, boom, something goes wrong on the screen. Please wait for assistance. I'm like, ah. Again, I don't have hours. The red light's going on and going off. My son says to me, Dad, why don't they have any workers? And I say, well, because, Charlie, they're greedy. They're selfish. All they care about is their bottom line. Mr. Walmart, all he cares about is the bottom line. All he wants to do is make money and just care about himself. That's why they don't hire anybody and have more employees. It's just all about money to them. And I was thinking to myself, I hope that people don't come to church and have the same experience. Because all we care about is our bottom line, our calendars, our schedules, our activities, our social lives, that we aren't able to offer ourselves to the church and create great experiences, greeters, ushers, coffee bars, kids ministry. I hope that we're not so Mr. Walmart protective of everything, that people come into the church and get the same rough experiences. Are you with me? I hope that people don't say, oh, church, I got to dread that again. I got to put my kids with that person. Are you with me today? I believe that the scripture says that in the end times, there's going to be evil spirits, seducing spirits, tricking, tricking, deceiving spirits in the last days. And I believe that one of those spirits that we're facing in the end times is that spirit of self, selfishness. It's all about me. If you look at culture, much is produced and created to be all about you. Oh, we can create a custom experience for just you. You know, we label our stuff, my iPad, my i this, everything's i, i, me, me. You can have your own side of the bed. You can get in the car and it can remember your settings. It has all of these custom i, 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 we're, we're, we're being fed this lie that in order for you to be happy and satisfied and content, you need to have a life that revolves around you. Can I get an amen? It's all about you. I thought about even, even look at just how you can consume things, the way things are set up. It's like, oh, you would certainly not want to go out and have a meal or join together as a family and make a meal, enjoy it together. Why don't you just get Grubhub? You don't got to see anybody. You don't got to talk to anybody. Just have it to yourself or Netflix. You can not go to a movie or not. You can customize whatever shows you want to watch. We see uh, shipped shoppers. Uh, Oh, I'm not going to go to the grocery store or go out in public or actually even connect with anyone because, you know, I can just have it all sent to myself. We don't even shop for our clothes anymore. We get them through Stitch Fix just send me my clothes. I don't even care to expect everything's custom, custom, me, me, me. And I believe that is a huge disservice and possibly one of those lies that we're buying into in the end times is that your life should be all about you. Can I get an amen? It's a concern I was thinking about, and I'm going to be really just honest and upfront with you. I was, um, thinking about the times that we're living, you know, I could go around this room right now and I could personally ask everybody in here and I would say, Hey, do you think the times that we're seeing, 
the things that kids face in school, the way that the media is treating and talking about each other. You know, you could go through every scenario, your workplaces, any of these interactions that you're seeing. And I would ask you like, hey, do you feel like the times are worse than they were a year ago? And you would say, oh, absolutely. And then I would say, well, what about five years before that? Are they worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are, things are so much worse and so much more evil. And it's not that you would even share a story. It's not like you would be like, oh, I heard of this really kind of nasty, evil, dark thing happening. You actually have personal experiences like in your families and people you know that have had to go through really dark and, 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 and hard, discouraging times uh, because the times have slipped. They have moved into such, as the scripture says, in the last days, these evil days. Uh, the, the, these corrupt times. So I thought about it this way. I thought about it this way. I look back at church 10 years ago. I'm, I've been in ministry. I'll be turning 40 here in March, but I've been in ministry for 20, 20 years, full time already. And I began to think about 10 years ago. I thought, okay, if times have slipped this far, if things have gotten into this place the way that they are right now, the current conditions are the way that they are right now. I thought about 10 years ago. You know, what, what could we possibly do to save it from the way that it is now? What did we used to do maybe 10 years ago? 10 years ago, this is how we used to disciple, and this is how we used to grow, and this is how we used to build families and strengthen Christians. This is pretty much what it would look like in American Christian household. About 10 years ago, uh, you would go to church on Sunday morning, and that church service, this sounds crazy, uh, would be about two hours long. We would make priority to go to church and, and sit through about a two-hour church service. Now some of the fastest growing churches are churches that have free coffee, free donuts, free everything, free this, free this. And they guarantee you, they give you a guarantee you'll be out in one hour. Guarantee you're out in one hour. So we used to, 10 years ago, we used to go to church. It would take about an hour, a couple hours and we would get into worship and we'd get deeper into the word and we would listen and we would receive. Then we would do this super crazy thing. We would come back on Sunday night. We come back on Sunday night and we'd get more into the word. We'd dig deeper into devotion and, and we'd get a little bit more into worship. And uh, heaven forbid, this sounds insane. We, we might actually have time where we prayed together in church. Maybe there was some time at the altar where you used to get together with different leaders of the church and they would pray with you and connect with you. So church in the morning, church at night. And then we did another crazy thing. During the midweek, we'd come together on Wednesday night. How remember Wednesday night church? Come together on Wednesday night, and that would be Bible study, or maybe it would be some kind of class you'd go to or group, and so we'd go on Wednesday nights. And then on top of that, we also had small group that we were involved in. We didn't call it small group back then. Some of the really old school people would know what I'm talking about. It was home group. Can you believe that? You had a bunch of crazy Christians over to your home, you know, kind of like the book of Acts. Anyway, we had home group. And then we also had ways that we served in the community. So church on Sundays and church in the evening, and we had all these different connections. And when I get to think about it, I begin to think about that kind of commitment. And here's what I want to tell you about that kind of commitment. That kind of commitment failed. The results of that, we saw that kind of commitment and that pattern of discipleship. And we could get into a lot of different reasons about maybe why some things were done wrong. But we saw that kind of commitment just 10 years ago of people being committed to the house of the Lord and the work that God was doing in his community, uh, in our communities. And we saw at age 18, a huge leaving of teenagers. They'd graduate high school, they'd leave the church. And we're seeing the effects of that to this day now that this huge group would leave. And so that essentially failed. Do you know, you've heard me say this before. America is now the largest mission field in the entire world. We used to be the country that sent missionaries. Now we got to like go call them all back in because we're the fourth most unreached country in the world. So if 10 years ago, this was the way that we served and gave ourselves to the church and the body. And now current American church, as I just mentioned, is at best, the average American goes to church every other week and the church service lasts for about an hour. 
And so my question is, is, is this a lifestyle? If we're saying times are darker than they've ever been and things are harder than they've ever been, I'm just wondering if we're laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus to be used as much as we possibly should be. It, does God have, well, I'm not ready and I'm busy and I got all these things going on. And God's like, hey, I know you don't feel ready, uh, but in your weakness, I can make you strong. We can make a difference. Can I get an amen today? Jesus gives like almost a rebuke. He gives a strong warning is uh, how your Bible would headline would read. But in Luke chapter 12, he's talking to a group of people and he calls them all hypocrites. He's like, you hypocrites. They're essentially doing what we're doing. They're saying, oh man, the, the times and this is going on and this looks evil. And so he, he gives them this analogy. He's like, you guys can tell the weather. You can tell what the weather is going to be by the way that the sun goes up and the sun goes down. He's like, but you hypocrites, you don't pay attention to the times that you're living in. I wonder if that warning is the same for us. We turn on the TV and we read things on the internet. We look at all this stuff and we go around saying like, oh boy, that's evil, that's evil, that's evil. But we don't apply the solution, which is laying our lives down to be used by God to make a difference in our community. Another way in Psalm 90, uh, we see in Psalm 90, if you read, I'm just paraphrasing, if you read through the whole chapter, uh, they give you this instruction. Hey, we got to be a people, Christ followers, we got to be a people who number our days. Pay attention to our days is what the passage is trying to tell us. You got to pay attention to the things that you're involved in. Number your days. And then it says, spend them accordingly. Like you got to make them count. It says this, it says that you'll, you'll gain wisdom and you'll walk wisely if you're a person who pays attention to your days and how you're using it. I believe if we want to make a difference in our communities, if we want to see God transform our schools and all of the different things, if we want to do that, we got to be a people who pay attention to what's happening in our hour. Can I get an amen? And you've heard me say this many times before. Ephesians chapter five says it this way. Uh, again, paraphrasing, it says, we, the people, we, the people are called to redeem the times because the days are evil. I wish it was easy as God just taking over every TV network and giving some amazing sermon and seeing the whole world saved and come to Christ. I wish it was a televangelist or, or one person could come in and fix everything. But the scripture gives us the instruction that if we want to see the days of evil redeemed, it takes us to do it. Can I get an amen today? It's not going to be the preacher or the worship leader or the others. It's people saying, God, here I am. I want to discover my purpose and make a difference in my community. Amen. Christianity is very much about how we do unto others. A lot of people have, you know, if we even polled you, say, hey, tell me what's really important in your walk with God. Tell me what it's all about. You would be like, well, it's about praying. I gotta be praying. You know, that makes a good Christian. Oh, and it's about reading your Bible. That makes a really good Christian. Oh, and it's about going to church on Sundays. That, that makes a really good Christian. If we do all of these things, this is what makes a really good Christian. But the reality is the scripture says that even demons know how to speak scripture and say, Lord, Lord, even they know how to go through the motions to be somebody who is a Christ follower, who's living it the way God has called us to do. We got to be a people who know how to love our neighbors at all costs. I wrote a few ways. Uh, we think Christianity uh, is much of like the rules and the chores, but Christianity is very much about what we do unto others. I wrote it down this way. Do you do unto others as they're deserved to be done? Oh, I would love to maybe help and connect. Hmm, do they deserve it? Or am I loving them wholeheartedly because they're my neighbor and Christ told us to? Do we love others as they do unto you? Oh yeah, we should pour into them. We should love them. We should connect with them. Because you know, they pour into us and so therefore they deserve my love. Or do we do unto others as our mood would have it be? Oh, I would love to help and make a difference and serve people in my community. But you know, my mood says it's summer. 
and I'm not serving and I'm not connecting because I got to go camping and I got trips to take, you know, and I'm not serving at the holidays and I'm not serving at the beginning of the year because it's a new year and new things. And so I'm only going to serve and give and connect and lay down my life uh, as it is according to my mood or my calendar. Can I get an amen today? Or do we only do unto others as to get them to see your way? Oh, I'm going to serve and I'm going to do this for you because I want you to get to do this for me. And we use scripture to manipulate people. How many know I'm telling the truth? God has called us to do unto others as he has done unto us. And what he did unto us was he sacrificed it all. What's God's call for you? God's call for us is to love people in a sacrificial way where we give it all. We lay it all out. We say, I'm here to serve you and love you. Can I get amen today? I wrote it down this way. God always accepts, God always includes, and God always forgives. I mentioned it just a minute ago. We think we're real spiritual because we know how to worship real good. Oh, I know all the worship songs. I even know the long worship songs, the deep worship songs. Uh, I know how to pray and I know how to fast. And I know how the Bible, I understand the Bible. I got my theology nailed. I got all of this stuff nailed. I got it all put together. That's what makes me a great Christian. And Jesus actually spoke very much against those people who graded themselves based on those things. They were called the Pharisees. He came and said, hey, you see them? They think they got it all together because they pray in public and they speak the word in public. They do all these kind of things, but they don't love people. He said, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Lay down your life for them. Can I get an amen? First John 3, if you read through it, again, I'm going to paraphrase before I get to some other passages. But the scripture teaches us this. It says this, you do not, if you do not love others, how does the love of God abide in you? You can have all those other things nailed. You can have all the Bible studies. You can have all the scriptures memorized and all that stuff is good. But if you don't have love for others, the love of God does not abide in you. Can I get an amen today? It's about laying down our lives for others. Galatians chapter 5 begins to break this down for us in verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Jesus came to set us free. Thank God for the cross that we've been made free. No longer sin, no longer slaves, no longer bound to all these things. We've been set free. But it says this, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Scripture saying, look, you've been set free. But don't take your freedom to make it about your selfishness. Oh, I've been set free. God is so good to me. Now I'm going to build a life all for myself. The scripture says, hey, you've been set free. And don't use that freedom to make it about you. Instead, use that freedom to make it about humbly serving and loving one another. That's how we're going to see these evil times redeemed. Can I get an amen today? Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture saying of, of all the things that you can do, of all the things that you can put together, all of the commands can be wrapped up in one thing. Live a lifestyle that is serving and loving others as much as you care about yourself. Verse 15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will both be destroyed by each other. He's talking about this competition. Oh, I got to do better than you and I got to do better than you because I'm selfish. And so I got to be better than this and be better than this. We destroy each other by competing with each other, but we stay healthy if we're about serving one another. Verse 16 says this. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
How do we live sacrificially? How do we serve others? How do we maintain this lifestyle of being about other people? Scripture says we got to be a people who walk in the spirit. If we're people who walk by the spirit, the leading of God, it makes it easy for us to turn our greed into generosity. It makes it easy for us to move from selfishness to servanthood. If we're allowing ourselves to be led by the spirit, it allows us to move from bitterness to forgiveness, from judgment people to compassion people. Am I telling the truth today? It's not by our own might. It's by the spirit of God, says the Lord. It's by his spirit leading that we're able to walk this way. I love Jesus gives us the example. uh, And we're going to look at it here in just a minute. But he gives us such a great example before he's about to go to the cross. Now, this is his grand finale. I want you to think about this. If it was you, and you're about to kind of land a statement here. You're going to be able to spike the ball. You're going to be able to go out with a grand finale and a zinger. You might do it this way. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he gathers up the disciples. And at this point, if I was him, I'd be like, hey, I'm about to go to the cross. And just so you all know, before I leave, none of you are ever going to be as good as me. Do you see how perfect I just did this life? Good luck trying to match that. I'm the Messiah, the chosen one, the perfect one. Make sure you guys make statues and talk about how amazing of a leader I was. And then just spike it with this ultimate zinger of how perfect and amazing and great his life was. But Jesus doesn't do that. In John chapter 13, he actually gives us a whole nother model to follow. He gathers everybody up. This is the grand finale. And the people that he gathered up are interesting. Jesus gathered the 12. Scripture says Judas was there. So a betrayer is there. A betrayer is in front of this great Jesus, our Messiah. We also see that Peter was there. Peter goes on to deny Jesus. So there's a betrayer, there's a denier in the presence of Jesus. And we also know that the scripture says all the other disciples, they ran, they fled, they, they denied Jesus. They also ran and took off. So we have betrayers, deniers, and then we also have the cowards who fled when Jesus was in his most important hour. So he's got the betrayer, the denier, and the cowards all gathered around him. And look at the example that he sets for us in verse three. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he's got all power. He can spike the ball on him right now. He can just totally hit him with a zinger. But it says this in verse five. After that, he's knowing he's got all power. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that which he was girded. He was totally perfect. He was all right. He was all God. He had all power. And for some reason, he chooses to set an example of servanthood, of laying his life down for those. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say very well, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. This is Jesus' example. He gathered the deniers, the betrayers, the cowards, and he served them. Do you know that? And he said, I'm doing that as an example unto you. Do you know that every single Sunday, Jesus gathers the hypocrites, the liars, the betrayers, the manipulators, the cheaters, and he calls calls us to serve them. He calls us to say, hey, wash their feet. As I was an example for you, be a people that lay your life down for those. Am I telling the truth today? She's saying, this is how it's going to be. 
all these people are going to come and they're not going to have it all put together. And I don't want you to give them big speeches and stand up before them and tell them how great you are. I want you to get your towels and I want you to serve them. That's God's design. Can I get an amen today? He asked us to serve them as he set the example. This is also in reference to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus, of course, is showing up on the scene. Not to display himself as all-powerful, almighty, all this. Instead, in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Gives us another example of like, you want to be great in the kingdom? You want to make a difference in darkness? Be somebody who lays down his life as a ransom and serves those who don't deserve it. Can I get amen? Verse 16, let's jump back to John 13, verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than who sent him. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you're somebody who knows and understands that it's better to serve than be served. I wrote it down. I got two points and I'm almost done. I wrote it down. Point number one is this. Blessing is found in serving. Blessing in your life is found in serving. Many of your testimonies in this room are, man, I I got a part of a team and I joined a cause and I was a part of what God was doing and I found so much blessing in the lifestyle of serving. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 says they came to Capernaum. Of course, it's the disciples traveling with Jesus and they're being really relatable. And it says that they came to Capernaum and as he was in the house, he asked them, speaking of Jesus. So Jesus is asking the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? Like they get back to the place they're going like, hey, I got to ask you guys, what was the whole argument about on the road? Verse 34, like children, but they kept quiet because on the way they had an argument about who was the greatest. This actually happened multiple times in the New Testament. Sometimes the disciples or others would come to Jesus and say, hey, what's the greatest command? I actually just read it to you. What's the greatest command of all of the commands? I need to know which one's the greatest because they were so concerned about being great and which one's the greatest. And he says, well, the greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest thing. In this instance, they're saying, well, how can you be great? We need to know how to be great. And so they're having this argument of this is how you can be great. And this is how you can be great. And Jesus answers them in verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and servant of all. He answers, hey, do you want to know how to be great? You want to know how to be great? Be a servant to all. That's what makes you great. Be somebody who's willing to say, I'll take the back seat here. I'll be the servant. An example would be kind of like a dad. And I'm terrible at this. A dad going behind his family, maybe they're in the mall or they're at a sporting event and the dad stays back and kind of walks behind the family to keep an eye on everybody. We just went to the Michigan game a couple weeks ago, 111,000 people there. And I'm an adventurer, so I'm always fast pacing, working, walking in front of the group. And I had to catch myself multiple times because I have my seven, eight-year-old son with me and, uh, and I'm walking ahead and there's a ton of people everywhere. And I'm like, have I lost my son? You know, Jess is used to it. She, you know, she's used to keeping up with me. She's just right with me. But I'm like, have I lost my, and so I had to go get him and put him in front of us. Why? So that as a person who loves him can watch out for him and take care of him. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I say, make, make yourself last, make you the person coming from behind and caring and serving and keeping an eye out for That's why ministries like Making Life Disciples is so amazing because we can look at this group where uh, abortion is such a high controversial topic right now. We as the church can come in and say, hey, we're just going to serve you. We're going to come in behind you and we're going to make sure you're okay and you're loved and you got what you need. That's why like things like Saturday morning prayer are so spiritually amazing because it's a church coming together and saying, hey, we're going to serve and we're going to pray for the needs of our community and we're going to come behind and we're going to support and encourage. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And when you serve in areas of ministry, you're coming in and you're saying, hey, I'm making myself last so that I can be a servant to all. Can I get an amen? So I wrote it this way. Greatness is found in serving. Blessing is found in serving. And according to Jesus, greatness is also found when we serve. Um, I wrote it down like this. And many of you have heard this. Jesus is not into titles. He's into towels. You want to be great? Don't worry about a title. Don't worry about recognition. Be about somebody who can take a towel and wipe and serve and love people. Amen. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you love us and lead us. God, we know that you're going to reveal to us the ways that we can lay down our lives so that we can serve and make an impact in our community. God, we take hard words and hard truths, and God, we ask that you let them correct us and shape us and mold us because we want to be all that you have for us. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.